0: Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13 now. And if you noticed in the bulletin today, the title of today's message is The Hidden Treasure and the Priceless Pearl. Our text will be Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The hidden treasure and the priceless pearl. Our text says, Again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found... He hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it the hidden treasure and the priceless pearl. This is a short passage that we read in a chapter where there are seven parables. Parables about what Jesus describes as the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. And there are seven stories, seven parables he tells to describe the kingdom of heaven. When our Lord Jesus came on the scene, he came as the Messiah. He came as the anointed Christ, the one anointed by the Holy Spirit and come into this world to redeem a people. And so when Jesus came, there was much expectation. The expectation was that the kingdom of David would be restored. That there would be prosperity in Israel like during Solomon's day when the kingdom stretched from the river to the sea and from the ends of the earth. And here's Jesus and now he's going to overthrow the Romans and he's going to raise Israel to be the head again and not the tail and all those covenant promises that they had heard about and enjoyed for a time. Here's the Messiah. The golden age is here. They expected radical change and they expected instant revolution, uh, widespread, phenomenal growth. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, it's very small, and a man sows it, and it grows very slowly. Into a huge tree and all the birds come and lodge in the branches. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. A woman takes it and puts a little leaven in the lump of dough. And it permeates and it affects the whole lump. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower. He goes out and he throws seed on the ground. And it falls on four different types of soil. And three of those kinds produce no fruit. But one kind of soil brings forth fruit. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven... Is not going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's going to be different. It's This whole chapter, these seven parables, are about the interim period between the first and second coming of Jesus. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. It is a time when Jesus came and suffered, and he will come. Go back to heaven and now here we are, here we are, here we are. It's been going on for a couple of thousand years now. There is a mixture together during this time of true and false believers. There's wheat and tare growing in the same field. Uh, one parable is about a man, or a man casting a net into the sea and dragging that net along and lifting it up and then sitting down and, and throwing away the bad things that the net caught and saving the good things in a vessel. There's bad and good mixed together. There's true and false mixed together. This is what we see during this kingdom of heaven phase. He calls it the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. It's it's the the church age. It's the time between Jesus' first and second comings. Jesus didn't set up his kingdom the first time he came. He is ruling right now. But not as he's going to rule one day. One day he will rule on the throne of David literally. And he will put down all enemies and all the nations will flow into Jerusalem to hear his words. And they will bring him gifts. There will be a literal earthly kingdom. But he didn't set that up the first time, did he? He's still the king though. And you know what? He's ruling right now in in a sense. He's ruling now in the hearts of his people. He is the king. He has opened some of our eyes to see who he is, and we bowed the knee. We weren't smart. We weren't clever. We didn't figure it out because we're a little bit more intelligent than the other guy. God, in his grace, opened our eyes, and we could see Jesus not just as a peasant, a carpenter, not just as a man way back in ancient history. We could look beyond the surface and we could see his beauty and his value. And in the Spirit of God, it was the revelation of the Spirit that taught us these things. Amen. So he is a king, he is ruling in the hearts of his people, but he's not set up the final stage of the kingdom yet. He's not here reigning and ruling as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19 tells about a king who's coming on a mighty charger, a horse with a a sword coming out of his mouth which is to say he's going to speak and the battle's over. He will have garments that are splattered with blood, the blood of his enemies as he tramples his enemies under his feet. This meek and lowly Jesus who came as a baby is going to come the next time as a conquering warrior. And this foolish world is going to learn in about two seconds what it hadn't learned in 2,000 years. And so he tells this parable, or these parables, seven of them. He tells about the parable of the four soils. So a sower sows his seed, and some of it falls by the wayside, those paths and trails around the fields. It's hard and packed. And the seed falls on it, and it doesn't penetrate. It just lays there. And people walk on it. It's nothing to them. They just walk on the seed. And the birds come and eat the seed, and it produces no fruit. And some of the soil was like the shallow soil. There was no way for the roots to go down because there was rock just below the surface and the roots couldn't go down. So all the the growth went up. But then the sun got hot and it wilted those little tender plants that didn't have any root system. And Jesus says, some people are like that. Some trample on the word of God that never takes root in their life. Do you know people like that? Some appear to come forth. They look like They're making good progress, but they don't last. They fizzle out. They wither and burn and bring forth no fruit. Do you know anybody like that? I've seen a whole bunch in my lifetime. I know you have. Some receive the word, and the thorns just grow up all around it and choke it out. It doesn't produce any fruit either. And Jesus says those are the people that are more concerned about this world and a love for money and a love for pleasure and comfort And the thorns choke them out and they produce no fruit. So of the four kinds of soil, three of them produce no fruit and one kind does. So there's a 25% success rate. Three quarters of those that hear the word of God bring forth no fruit. Jesus says that's what it's going to be like during this kingdom of heaven mystery phase. This interim between my first and second comings. Many people will reject my word. Most will mock and scoff. They will have no time. They will make good appearances. They will make a fair show. They will start, but they won't finish. They won't bring forth fruit. And that's what a Christian does. One that's united to Christ brings forth fruit. Where there's no fruit, there's no life. So three of the four were fruitless. There will be much rejection during this time. But in some cases, that seed... What a miracle that seed is. That little bitty seed. Have you ever seen a, a plant growing up out of a sidewalk? Somehow or another, that little seed was able to take root in maybe a little speck of dirt down there, and it took root, and, and it did something that we don't fully understand. It began to grow, and the concrete began to bust up. And here's a tree growing up out of a rock or out of a sidewalk, You couldn't stop that seed. That seed was invincible. didn't look very promising. Don't throw your seed down there. That won't work. And lo and behold, that's where it came up. We will labor in this day. We sling the seeds of the gospel. And somebody says, they'll never believe. They may surprise us yet. They may be a plant growing right up there out of some very unpromising circumstances. Or on the other hand, we say, well, I know he'll believe. I know she'll believe the gospel. And they go on their merry way, foolish and blind. So in, in this day, this kingdom of heaven mystery phase, between his first and second coming, where he's now ruling in the hearts of those that will believe, but not yet ruling in the world, in, in the kingdom as he's going to, there will be growing seeds. Much rejection, but some seeds will take root and some will grow. And it says in Mark 4, a parallel, a complementary really, A comment about the seed. Men sow it and they go to sleep. And while they sleep, it grows. They know not how. That's what the Bible says. They know not how. First a little blade and then the ear. And then the full ear developed with a head of corn there. We know not how. This is the gracious work of God in a sinner. We hear the gospel. We can't fully explain it but we hear what it says about Jesus and we hear Jesus to be mighty and lifted up. And we say, I don't know all the answers. I got a lot of questions and I don't fully understand it all, but I'm gonna pin my hope right there on Christ. I'm gonna admit that I am what the Bible says I am. I'm a wretch and a rebel and a fallen son of Adam and I'm condemned in my sin. I'm blind, I'm an idolater, I'm a lustful, stubborn, proud man. I lie with my tongue and I lie with my countenance. And I leave a trail of misery behind me. And I'm a heartbeat from hell, and God intervenes and He says, Here's a Savior, will you bow? And the Holy Spirit lets us come and see and helps us bow. And somehow, a miracle of His grace, we come alive. We come alive. It's a miracle, we know not how, but the seed takes root in some, and the seed grows. Mysterious. It's miraculous. Again, it's, the kingdom will be like leaven, very insignificant, hidden away. Nobody even sees it working, but it goes from being invisible to being invincible. You cannot stop it. And like the mustard seed, there will be wheat and tares in the same field. There will be true and false coexisting together. This is the mystery phase of the kingdom, this interim period between his first and second coming. There's a day coming when Jesus will rule as far as the east is from the west. He will rule in this world. He will rule worldwide. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the prophets said. Israel will possess the gates of his enemies. They will take their swords and beat them into plowshares, and they will take their spears and turn them into pruning hooks. And the planters will overtake the reapers. There'll be such an abundance that they'll gather in the crop and gather in. They're still gathering when it's time to sow again. When Jesus gets here, he's going to lift the curse and he's going to rule gloriously. That's my hope. My hope is not in Washington, D.C. I put hope there before and been sorely disappointed before. And if God wanted us to trust in man, he'd have said so. And he said, it's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. God turns kings' hearts. He turns rulers. He gives rulers as, we, as his purposes dictate. Sometimes it's for judgment. Sometimes it's for preservation. Sometimes it's for good. But our God is the rightful king and ruler. And one day we will have a king that is without peer. We have a divided power government. We have three branches of government because our leaders understood that because man is wicked, because man is sinful, no man carries power very well. So let's make an executive branch and let's make a judicial branch and a legislative branch so they can keep each other in check. But one day there will be one who is not unjust, who won't need oversight, who won't need to be kept in check. He will be a righteous king. And it will be glorious. Amen. Amen. Now, let's talk about our text today. Right here in the middle of these seven parables, he tells us about, again, the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure hid in a field. And so a man finds it. He doesn't tell us how he found it. Maybe they would had a wet span of weather like we have, and maybe just enough eroded and washed away. that He saw something sticking up out of the ground sunlight caught it just at the right time and he saw a little corner of something sticking up and he finds out it's something big and solid. Maybe he's plowing and his plow hits something it stops and he says I've hit a rock or something. He begins to move his plow back and he, he moves some dirt back and he gets his shovel a stick. He pokes around and finds out this is not a rock or a stump. Somebody has buried something in this field. He finds a treasure hidden in a field. And he begins to snoop a little bit and dig and poke and open and pry and open this treasure. It's not just a box. It's not a piece of junk. It's not something somebody discarded as worthless. There is something there that is more valuable than all I've got. And it says he covered it back over and he went and took everything he had and sold it and bought that field so he could get that treasure and so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field I want to kind of give you three points where I'm going I don't think we'll get them all done today but number one This treasure, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is hidden from most. It's hidden from most people. Number two, it's more valuable, this treasure, than everything else combined. And number three, a radical commitment was made to obtain this treasure. So there's my outline. If you're taking notes or if you want to just make some mental notes, that's kind of where we're going. This treasure is hidden from most. It's more valuable than all. And a radical commitment must be made to obtain it. So imagine now, just think with me. Here's a field. How many people walked through that field? How many people walked right through the field, never knowing that just underneath their feet was a treasure? How many people walked right over it? Never saw it. Never imagined. They were on their way going about their business, walking right over the treasure. So close but so far away from it. It was hidden from most. It was in an an open field. It wasn't blocked off and fenced off and nobody could get it. It was just in a field. Somebody walked right over it. Somebody found it. Others could have found it. I look back to verse 11 of this same chapter. Jesus told parables, seven of them here in this chapter. And they, they asked him in verse 10, why do you speak in parables? Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. It is pure Sovereign grace that God gave these parables through Christ that those men whom he was speaking to might know, but to some it was not given. It was hidden, as it were. If you hear the message of Jesus and you believe it, you'll get more light. If you reject what you hear, you will be left in the darkness that you love. So he tells parables. Parables both revealed the truth to those that were humble. And parables hid the truth from those who were proud. They said, what kind of story is that? It means nothing. They mocked. They despised. They saw as worthless this little story that Jesus told. But some said, I see it. Did you hear hear what he said? Parables revealed and concealed at the same time. Here we read in verse 11, it is given to you to know. That's pure grace, beloved. Do you know who Jesus is today? Has your clouded eye been opened? Then your heart ought to be overflowing with praise to God that he has given to you to know. What grace. Turn back to chapter 11, verse 25. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast, what's the next word? Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me from my Father. And no man knoweth the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Wow. So Jesus is praying. He's walking along in his ministry. He says, thank you, Father, that you've hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Those clever, proud, self-righteous people didn't see it. But to those who he calls babes, little babies, those who were teachable, those who were humble, they weren't clever, they weren't learned, but they weren't proud either. And to them he reveals things. And Jesus says, that's good, Father. This was your gracious will to do it that way. To hide from these and to reveal to these. And then he says amazingly in verse 27, no one knows the Father and no one knows the Son except the ones to whom the Father reveals. They'll know the Son. And no one can know the Son except those the Father reveals. And it's, it's, so it's a closed circle. It's, it's a tight circle. The only way in is if the Father or Son invites you. You can come in then. He'll call you in. If the Father calls you in, you may know the Son. If the Son reveals the Father, you may know the Father. Otherwise, you won't know the Father or the Son. I'm talking about this treasure in a field. Why does not everybody run to the field and say, I want it? They're blind. They're foolish. Their guilt is upon their own head if they will not have Jesus. This is what we must always say. Salvation is of the Lord always from start to finish. Damnation is upon man and upon his foolishness. If any are saved, it's because God saves. If any are lost, it's because we're rebels and fools and slow to believe all that God says. This treasure was hidden to most, hidden away. It was in an open field, but most people walked across it just looking at the surface. They never saw underneath What do most people see when they see Jesus today? What is Jesus? Who is Jesus to this world? Oh, he was a, a good man. A real, real good man. Oh, beloved, if that's all you got, you're just on the surface. Can look a little deeper. He was a teacher, they say, a, a good teacher. Well, are you listening to what he taught then? We should ask. If you call him a mere teacher, are you listening to the things carefully that he taught? He taught that he was the only way to the Father. And no one could come to the Father except by him. Amen? But he's more than a teacher. We who Christ aright have known and seen with inward eyes, adore him as the Almighty One who made both earth and skies. We who Christ aright have known and seen with inward eyes. How do you see with those kind of eyes? How do you know Christ aright? How do you not call him just a teacher or a good man? Oh, he was just a good example. He showed us how to love people. Well, he did show us the best example for sure. But but you got to go deeper than that, don't you, beloved? He's more than that. (laughs) Much, much more than that. This treasure that's hidden to most to walk right over, walk right past, walk right by never knowing what they miss until it's too late eternally. In the Song of Solomon, that Shulamite maiden was asked by the daughters of Jerusalem in Song of Solomon chapter 5. Turn there with me. Song of Solomon chapter 5. They said, verse 9, "'What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women?' What is thy beloved more than another beloved? What do you see in him? Why is he so special to you? They asked her. And she begins to describe him. Oh, his head is like this and his locks and his eyes and his cheeks and his lips and his hands and his mouth and his legs. And she just can't say enough about her beloved. And she concludes in verse 16 by saying, he is altogether lovely lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O oh daughters of Jerusalem. They said, What? What do you see in him? How is he so special? And she said, Let me tell you about him. She had looked at him differently than others had. Here's a treasure in a field, beloved. It's hidden from most. Have you found this treasure? Do you know Christ? He's the treasure. Have you looked on the surface merely? Have you probed below the surface? Have you looked more than the superficial glance? He is altogether lovely. Is this your heart's confession? Do you say this of Jesus? Or is he a hobby for Sunday? Can you say he is the reason I live And I seek in all that I do to bring honor to this one who so loved me first. He is altogether lovely. Have you looked below the surface? He is not hidden to you if you're a child of God. You have been given to see something that is hidden to most. Blessed be his name. I've got a few uh, poems I could share at this time. And I think for time's sake, I'll just do one or two maybe. You've heard of Isaac Watts. Great writer, music, hymn writer. He says, while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire this feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why am I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room, while millions make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly called us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. So we sit around, we look at this feast, we look at this treasure, and we say, I'm a pauper. Why was I made to find this treasure? And we say, I don't know. All I can say is, what a savior is this one. How sweet is his grace. How deep is his mercy. I didn't pass him by. He gave me to see. He gave me to find. I found him, but really he found me. I called on him, but really it was because he he called me with an effectual, powerful call that I could not resist at that point. I resisted him many years, many times. But when Lazarus was called out of the tomb, Lazarus didn't say, I'll think about it. Lazarus come forth. And by his divine command from Christ, the dead lives. And he comes walking out. Ezekiel 37 there are dead bones bleaching in the sun. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? What would you say? You're looking out over a field. There are bone here. There's a bone there, just scattered bones. And they are shameful because they were not given a proper burial. They're laying on the top of the ground. They're bleached out. Can these bones live, God asks Ezekiel? What would you say? I'd say, ain't no way. Ezekiel was smarter than me. He said, Lord, you know. I think he kind of sensed God was going to do something here inexplicable. So I would have said, ain't no way. They've long passed the point of living. But Ezekiel said, Lord, you know, I'll just defer to you. What do you say? And God began to move dead bones and bones joined to bone and God put flesh on them and sinew and muscle. And it says they became an army. This is the work of God. He does the inexplicable. He does the unimaginable. He does the miraculous. He does that which man cannot do. If you're a Christian today, you start out thinking, I heard the gospel and I believed it. Yes, that's right. But from the divine viewpoint, God raised a dead corpse to life. God made dead bones live. And all glorious Christ's. All glorious Christ's. The world sees Jesus and they say, well, he was a carpenter. Yeah, he was. Just agree with him. He was a carpenter. He built the universe. He's a carpenter. He's the carpenter's son, in fact. He's the son of the father, the only begotten son of an eternal father. They said, this is just the carpenter's son. How does he speak such words? Well, they paid him a great compliment there and didn't even know it. He was the carpenter. And he built a universe and he upholds it by the word of his power. Oh, but he didn't have anything. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. He said, foxes, they've got holes in the ground. Birds got their nests in the trees, but I don't have a bed. I don't have a bedroom or a house. And he made the world. And he shamed us. We who are so proud and so quick to boast in other things. It was the delight of our Lord Jesus to do the will of the Father. Who was he? What was he? Well, we have been granted by his grace eyes to see that he is the treasure of treasures. Amen. Hidden away. Most walk right over him, walk right past him. Don't get upset with people when they don't know Jesus. It's easy to get frustrated, agitated at them. You want to grab them by the shoulders and say, let me tell you something. Look at me. Listen to me. What are you thinking? What are you doing? Your life is hanging by threads. You're a heartbeat from hell. And you don't know Jesus and you don't love him and you're not his disciple and you're not ready. He's the only way to the Father. Hear me. Call on him. And we get agitated and frustrated. We say, I've shared the gospel with them. Now they avoid us. They see us coming and they, they uh, turn their head. They want to get away from us. They hope we won't cross paths there in the market, you know. They saw us down there at that end. They're done. They're going to go to the car real quick. Finish up their shopping spree just to avoid having to speak. Oh, don't let that bother you, bro. Look, you were blind too. And God in His kindness lets you find a treasure. Be patient with folks. Love them. Pray for them. Weep over their soul. Yes. Weep over their soul. That's a good thing. But don't get mad at them if they don't see. It'll be the work of God that changes them. And He'll start in in their heart. You won't win them by your persuasiveness. You won't come up with a good presentation that's waterproof and and airtight, and here you go, you you can give the gospel, and it'll be so concise and so clear and so powerful that there's no way they can tell you, no, they'll just say, oh, okay, yes, I want to be a Christian. That'll never happen by human skill and logic. It's the power of God. The wind blows where it will. You can't control the wind, but you can watch it work. It makes trees fall. It makes... Trees wave their arms. It makes leaves move. You hear the sound, but you don't control the wind, and neither do I. So we pray. We share the gospel. God does use human means. He tells us to be evangelists. He tells us to tell others about Christ. And you do it faithfully, and you sow the seed. And even in Jesus' day, and even in the days and ministry of the apostles, not everybody believed. There was much resistance and much antagonism. They hated Jesus and they hated the apostles. And yet that little mustard seed was growing. And here we are, 2,000 years removed from when the seed was planted. And now there's a church worldwide. And the birds, even the Gentiles, have come to trust in the branches. We find repose and we find shelter and we find rest in that little inconspicuous start, here's a little baby that's born in Bethlehem. What's going on there? It didn't look like a Messiah. It looks like a little newborn baby nursing at his mama's breast. Messiah, where's the earth-shaking kingdom? Here's a little baby, and he'll live in obscurity for 30 years. He'll be in an out-of-the-way place called Nazareth. He'll work with his hands in a carpenter's shop. His own family won't believe on him, as we saw last week. But that little seed will take root, and we read in the book of Acts, there's 120, that's all, just 120 in the room waiting, and they're praying, and the leaven spreads, and the mustard seed grows, and here we are today in 2020, and there are believers in, around this world, a multitude that no man can number that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't love Him enough. We don't love Him perfectly. We don't love Him like He loves us. But we love Him truly. And I pray we'll love Him better. Praise God for a treasure that's going to outlast this world. He is the treasure. Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He He is the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know something that's the best knowledge of all, it's it's in Christ. Human education just goes so far. Education is good, but it can only carry you so far. Human wisdom will only carry you so far. But in Christ, there is wisdom and knowledge hidden there. Don't bypass the true wisdom and the true knowledge in Christ. Amen. Praise be to his name. You have come into possession, beloved. If you are a Christian, you may not have much in your earthly portfolio. You may not have much that is impressive to this world. But you have something that's going to outlast this world. If you know Christ. If you don't know Christ, you will lose this world and your soul. You are under the wrath of God apart from Jesus. If you think you're a good person, you're deceived. If you think your good works are going to keep you from hell, you are sadly mistaken. The only works that God accepts is the works of his son, the perfect work of Jesus. Believe on Christ and you will be saved. Throw down your idols, throw away your image your ego, your false trusts, all the things that you put confidence in, you say, I, I think this will put me in good standing. I'm a good person from a good home. I have a good name. I have an education. I have a degree. I have a job. I have a, you have nothing apart from Christ. All of that's going to crumble. All of it's going to burn. All of it's going to mock you one day when you stand before your Creator unless you are joined to His Son. There is a world to come, beloved, that will last, outlast this world. Don't let this fast-paced life that we're in right now cloud your mind and make you forget the true world that is to come. Examine yourselves today, whether you be in the faith. A tear looks just like a stalk of wheat, Right together in the same field. One is a weed and one is a wheat stalk. And they look so much alike. Jesus says, just let them grow. I'll sort it out at the harvest. If you try to dig up those weeds now, you're going to uproot some of the wheat. Let them grow together into the harvest. And then he, with skill and with a distinguishing judgment, will distinguish between wheat and weed. I fear there are many today in the church. That have a name that they live. They make a profession. They have a form of godliness. They profess that they know God. But in works they deny Him. They know not the power of God. They've been whitewashed on the outside. But they've never been regenerated and made alive by the power of God. Let that not be you, beloved. If that is you. If you're there today. If you're uncertain. Today's the day of salvation. Do you hear me? Today's the day of salvation. Run to Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. Lay hold of by faith the Lord Jesus. He's a great savior of sinners. If you're good, you'll go to hell. If you're a sinner, Jesus will save you if you'll call on him. Amen. Amen. My hope is built on what we sing today, on nothing less than Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's sing it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand for prayer now. I pray, Father, that you will cause our hearts to overflow and spill out praise and gratitude to you. That you have made us by grace recipients of a treasure that is in and is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, the only one, the rightful one, the true one, the beautiful one. And in Him we boast, in Him we sing, in Him we stand, in Him we are assured. Our sins will sink us to hell. His righteousness will deliver us from hell. May we be found in Him today. Lord, if there's one doubting, struggling, worried, uncertain, bring them to that place of blessed assurance and sweet comfort from your word. May you, by the Holy Spirit and by the truth of your word, help them to know. Lord, if there are those that will hear this perhaps later on the recording and that they will... Be prepared and plowed as it were and readied for the good seed to fall. May you get glory in saving them. May you get glory in your church this day as we come on this Lord's day to worship and praise and glorify your name. You are worthy and you alone. And now Lord, we leave this service and we Go out into a world that is a good world and yet it's marred by sin. And the good things remind us of that world that is to come. And so we live in hope and we pray in hope and we sing in faith and we trust your good plan to unfold in your sweet time. Thank you for the kingdom of heaven that we have been brought into Out of the kingdom of the evil one, out of the domain of darkness, into this right kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray you'll give us clarity of thought and courage in our soul to be true disciples in this world as we go now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.